Thank you very much indeed, Meredith, and in Brooklyn Public Library for your warm and professional support of this program. And, and it's, it's great to be here, well into our second season, and our 11th year, second season here and 11th year in existence. Who's attending the review panel for the first time this evening? Great, fantastic. Well, for your benefit, and to re refresh the memories of everyone else, I, I'll be giving, uh, I'll give you a quick overview of our business. Uh, then I'll introduce this evening's guests, and then we'll get going. So we've all been to see, um, or we've all known about and had the opportunity to go and see uh, four current exhibitions uh, in at least two boroughs. Um, we will have a little video of the first two that we're going to talk about. The panelists will then discuss those two shows. Uh, we'll then take uh, a some time for the audience to, to share and express their opinions. Um, and then we repeat the exercise. Simplicity itself. Um, and that is that's what we do with the review panel. Uh, by this evening's guests, uh, David Humphrey is a, a painter and a critic. He, as, as an artist, shows um, with uh, Friedrich's Freiser Gallery in Chelsea. In fact, he has a show also opening next week in um, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, at the Marsha Wood Gallery. Um, and he, a collection of his writings, uh, Blind Handshake, was published in 2010 by uh, Periscope Publishing. Paddy Johnson is the founder, editor, and publisher of Art F City, uh, once called Art Fag City, but uh, they politically corrected themselves in order to uh, uh, conform with Facebook's family values, I think, or, 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 or progressive politics, I'm not quite sure which. Um, Art Fags, Art F City, well, the, the one of the premier art blogs, um, and she um, uh, and her blog team um, have uh, are venturing into the uh, a curatorial project um, which opens um, November 3rd at the ICAD space in Dumbo uh, an exhibition a group exhibition titled strange genitals um, and in fact the title is apparently uh, an accurate description of the contents so uh, <laughs> be there or be square, as they say, um, <laughs> or perhaps it will be, has be, be, be necessary to be square. Anyway, uh, one doesn't know until one sees how strange these strange genitals are. And my, my third guest, uh, on my uh, right, uh, Terence Trio, uh, or if you can't handle the uh, Haitian-French uh, uh, with the gusto that I I hope that I managed. Uh, that was very good. That you, can, you can Americanize it as, uh, to your heart's content. Um, <laughs> the thing to know is that he is uh, an upcoming critic. Uh, you will see, see him regularly in, you see him regularly in uh, the Brooklyn Rail. You can start to see him now also in the Village Voice. Um, he um, has written also in the past for Black Arts and ArtCritical.com. And he's also the Oral History Fellow at Bomb Magazine, a position he's held for one year. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. <laughs> and, um, well, 
it, it sounds a little immodest to say I require no introduction, but in fact, um, I <laughs> probably do require an introduction. I'm David Cohen. I'm the publisher and editor of artcritical.com. So I think we're ready to get going. We're going to look at our first two exhibitions, uh, Kai Althoff and Martin Creed. We're going to swing around and look at these um, videos and then come back and discuss them. The shows, not the videos. I'd like to point out, by the way, that we were unable to video Kai Althoff's exhibition, um, uh, which uh, is a bureaucratic matter that n probably doesn't require any discussion, except um, that it is kind of interesting that an exhibition that almost more than any other would really benefit from I even those who have seen it being reminded of uh, a, a, a person walking through it, experiencing it, as, a to as an environment, as a total gestalt. Um, the images that are available, the, the few sanctioned officially available images um, are a paltry selection and the installation shots are utterly inadequate. So this is the artist's decision. Um, the museum did attempt on our behalf to try to persuade him to allow us to make a video of his show. Um, and it, it was refused. Now that may or may not feed in to our um, understanding or discussion of his work, but I just put it out there um, as a fact. So, Kai Althoff. I think if we, if we go to MoMA, MoMA seems to be giving us a festival of um, uh, bohemian grunge with uh, Nan Goldin's um, um, uh, ballad and, and, and now the uh, Kai, Kai Althoff, although that's, that's perhaps to impose one reading when many, many could be uh, elicited from this, uh, from this insulation, from this retrospective. Um, I could talk for hours about him. I found it uh, uh, infuriating. I, I, it's funny, I could... There's so much I could say, and just this afternoon, I looked at uh, Glenn Lowry's introduction, you know, like preface. Usually you don't read that, because it's just kind of puff and thanking a few sponsors and the usual kind of bureaucratic wank stuff, but it, it was actually um, quite brilliant. And, 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 and what Glenn Lowry said is that uh, he feels a bit like Leonard Bernstein uh, introducing Glenn Gould, I mean, and anyone who follows classical music knows this classic instance where uh, Gould offered such an eccentric interpretation of a particular piano concerto, um, tempos that um, Bernstein didn't approve of, but Bernstein went along with him and conducted the orchestra, but had to then first of all say to the audience, um, I'm going to conduct this, but I don't approve of it. Um, uh, but why am I therefore conducting it? Because although I don't approve of it, I recognize the genius of, of Glenn Gould. So, um, in a way, um, it was clear, and perhaps our little uh, episode with video was just a, a, a drop in the bucket of this, it was clear that, uh, that the experience of working with Althoff was very challenging slash totally infuriating for the museum in every one of its particulars, how the catalog was produced, how the work was installed, how the work was or wasn't labeled, etc. And we could probably spend hours just talking about what's infuriating about this show, but <laughs> it's nonetheless, well, to my mind, an exhilarating show. Just to add show. to that, I mean, yeah. I think um, Art News earlier, like before the show launched, had um, received 
a version of the of of um, his artist statement, which was sort of rambling um, artist existential crisis. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know why my work is in this museum. It could mm -hmm. be anybody's work. Like this sort of yes. thing that was then published by a major, you know, online art publication. So. Um, and that does not exist in their promotion of the show. <laughs> the existential crisis was solved. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the... But wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't you say that there's something about the installation that, um, which presumably he's controlled every aspect of, mm. um, to the point of, of wanting to kind of uh, shed uh, Laura Hauptman in mm -hmm. the interview, mm -hmm. kind yeah. of alienating her, in a way, cutting, trying to cut her out, but um, in a sense presenting his own work as though he found it rather than mm. Mm. having made it. Mm. So there's a peculiar kind of rhetorical um, uh, megalomania and hypermodesty simultaneously so that he has these works that are, that are kind of nested among uh, found objects and kind of theatricalized antiques um, in such a way as to make them seem like perhaps he didn't even make them. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so the whole thing is like a kind of um, an effective behavior. He's kind of staging a certain behavior, mm -hmm. both within the institution and um, within his work. But meanwhile, you've got the book in which individual works are, are presented and which there's kind of exactly. elaborate iconography mm -hmm. and a whole kind of story about the relationship <laughs> of individuals to groups that, that seems... Um, complicated and robust and very warm. So, so he's he's a he's a he's a gnarl. Yeah. Even the checklist, Terence, is is. Uh, uh, you think okay, we can at least get a checklist here. And but the checklist is actually organised chronologically and subdivided by medium. So there's no way going through the right. exhibition that the checklist can actually uh, illuminate what you're looking at or when it's from. It's a it's it's a decurated exhibition, isn't it? Well, the, I mean, the checklist itself is fairly useless, to be honest. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, it's printed on this awful pink or green paper. It's almost, you can't even see the images themselves. It's hard to sort of track everything. Um, but I will say, in terms of the catalog, there is something of not only reading the interview with Laura Hopman or some of the, the texts that are written actually by his friends. Um, yeah. There is a level of which I thought there was um, in some way defending his work mm. um, and defending him as a certain, I know they, you know, they kind of describe him as this sort of mystical or magic figure in terms of his art making or this sort of um, kind of struggling or sort of um, anti-artist for one. Um, yeah where there's a lot of talk of him sort of, you know, kind of, um, yeah, being this sort of megalomaniac, sort of trying to, like, create these things and also go back on his word, or, you know, it's a very complicated figure. Um, but what was of interest in sort of reading the catalog and also kind of experiencing the work on its own um, was sort of understanding, like, who um, specifically is sort of a, a getting something out of this work. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of what is said in the, in, which is really great, and so these small passages, whether it's, you know, Rob Store or I'm blanking on the name, but his friend, uh, his friend Dov, no, Dov, there you who, go, who is a, a Hasidic Jew who he met in a pizza parlor exactly, in Crown Heights. Um, yes, and there's this, and, and and you know, it's it's kind of amazing how that whole, because he writes a whole long essay about it, that encounter and his sort mm -hmm. of um, what he. Th 
he thinks of, of Kai as a sort of prophet or this mystical figure. Um, and it's and it's kind of it's on the, it verges on something kind of perverse in some mm. sense, but also quite warm and um, yeah. very friendly. And sort of all his passages and his, you know, he always goes back and saying, "Oh, this is my interpretation of the of the work," but you know, Kai will probably disagree with me or yell at me for having it wrong in some way, um, which is also kind of telling of that relationship. But um, there's also the feeling that um, you know he's getting something quite genuine from experiencing this work and yeah um, well I, yeah. I would say that I got something genuine from experiencing the work yeah. I mean th- I, I kind of find myself splitting in half between uh, a critic curator publisher m- m- review panel moderator who's infuriated by the pretensions of this exhibition and somebody who's uh, reveling in and enjoying much of the visuality and 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 joy of making of, of some, but not all, of the works in the well, show. Well, there's kind of a rhetorical paradox that he yes. exercises. On the one hand, it seems very needy, mm. very um, kind of solicitous and 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 um, wishing for a kind of hyper attention to all his kind of nuanced feelings mm. within the work within. The, the the drawing slash paintings mm-hmm. it seems to be allegorizing allegorizing certain kinds of sociability what happens between men and boys mm-hmm. what happens within families or within the in the uh, Hasidic works mm-hmm. but then there's this other uh, gesture which I I think comes in some ways from the milieu of Cologne uh, artists, which is sort of "fuck you, I don't need you, right. I don't even want your attention." Museum, what you know, go away. Which is, which is in a way, I think, also informed by uh, a neediness, which mm. which needs to have a barrier that you you have to work across. Yeah, um, because but you which know dares you, like, mm. please love me, fuck you. Right, of course, right, right. because you know, with a German museum curator. That that uh, attitude is going to guarantee attention. I mean, mm. it is a, an ultimate sort of narcissistic ploy. Um, but but well, so we have this phenomenon with the artist making a new work from his own work. It's it's sort of in line with uh, an artistic personality that clearly couldn't be more of a polar opposite to Althoff, and that's Maurizio Catalan by making a, an mm-hmm. assemblage out of all of his life's work in what he claimed would be his farewell exhibition. Of course, he didn't give up uh, the ultimate chutzpah to first of all say he's going to give up and then not do so. But then, um, uh, but yeah, totally different personality. Um, how do you, how, Paddy, how do we negotiate um, Forming a relationship with individual works, with the with the totality of the work, and then with the exhibition, it's it's, it's complicated taxonomy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I had a problem with that. Like, I I don't know whether I came out thinking like, okay, this is the best thing I've ever seen, um, mm-hmm. because it's hard to under like it's everything is. In a way, like the way the exhibit, like the exhibition is basically, you can't see it from that documentation, but it's basically in a tent, you know? Mm-hmm. And the tent is supposed to like look like maybe a light-filled attic or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, within that, like, it doesn't, I didn't think that it, it's, I mean, it's a collection of junk, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, his junk. Um, but like it d- 
didn't seem like it was necessarily um, meant to be like taken apart one by one. And mm. um, and then and for that reason, I kind of felt like um, there were spots where I felt like, okay, this feels like more personal. And it gets back to what you're saying, where there's like a kind of push and pull between like, okay, like, fuck you. No, wait, listen mm -hmm. to me. And like, mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I, I thought was a good example of that was there was that chimney that mm -hmm. was like, it was like basically a handmade chimney sort of um, shimmied between mm. a wall and, and like a freestanding wall. And inside, if you looked inside that chimney, there was a stuffed heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And the stuffed heart, I thought, was kind of like beautiful and poignant, like that you could find this like bit of like kind of touching like s something that felt like personal inside mm -hmm. this made mm -hmm. object, but you, you know, you had to look at it. Whereas, you know, but like, <coughs> you know, he made that intentionally hard to find. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of pissed, you know, mm -hmm. like that was like, I thought that was like a good key to the exhibition and like, you know, he's fucking with the audience. And I, I you know, I think... Well, he's planting an esoteric link. That's not yeah, so terrible. I that's, mean, that's, sure. That's fun, I mean, isn't uh, it? If you find, once you found it. Yeah, oh, good so for me, but what about everybody else? Oh, like you're, too, you're too much of a Democrat. I mean, I, I'd have thought, oh, good for me, period. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, good for me, and I'll like tell the rest of the world. Well, yeah, but I mean, oh. I don't think that it should be. Like, I just don't think that, like... An exhibition needs to be mm. a, an exercise in like, s like hunting out like right. little kernels. But but isn't so, Terence? The, the, the whole show is like a Joseph Cornell box, mm -hmm. but the components are not found trash. They are generated images, and it's in fact a lifetime's uh, from a selection of uh, a lifetime's found images. I mean that. Infuriate the checklist, by the way, it has a little note at the bottom that says, this represents all the works in the exhibition, but the presentation of the exhibition may not include all of these works. Exactly. And that was a philosophically <laughs> complex, <laughs> if not mystically complex uh, notion. Uh, yeah, that's a sort of quite Kafkaesque almost. But uh, what, what's, how do you negotiate the, the, um, the, the parameters of... of seeing work, seeing the whole thing? Well, there's definitely a sense, like it definitely made me think of uh, the show that was recently at the New Museum, The Keeper. Yeah, And right. this idea of collecting and hoarding um, and definitely a sense of where it's, you know, I mean, the show is overwhelming. There's, mm. there's too much to see. There's, you know, it's, it's you know, for, for me and also as, an, as a writer, you sort of get, you know, it's a type of thing where there's there's too much that you kind of get overwhelmed. You don't really know how to process things. Um, and then uh, you're sort of, first thing you go to is you try to latch on to one particular thing or you look at a, you know, you try to find some connections between something or find something that actually moves you. Um, and I guess like part of, part of the, like, I guess the fun part of the exhibition for me is that doing that searching, searching for something that, you know, speaks to me or at least says something that is interesting about the work or even even if it's something just pointing out 
because obviously he's a painter and there's, there's his paintings and you know that's what in terms of uh, my knowledge of his work is his paintings mm -hmm. um, and sort of sifting through that and looking at what's around them mm. um, but at the same time it is a type of thing where it is fairly infuriating and it, it's very difficult to sort of and I, and I think judging necessarily just by him as an artist and also you know, looking both at the exhibition, what I'm seeing, and in terms of the catalog, which I think is very telling, and mm. you know, is very, it's, you know, that's that in itself is also kind of difficult to read as well. Sure. Um, and but at, at the same time, there's a level of where you you kind of see this figure as being someone that is, you know, purposely putting you through this hellish torment of trying to like mm. figure out his work. Um, and you know, and there's also this element of like there's a particular way of interpreting it in his mind. Um, and so that makes it, you know, doubly mm. difficult to sort of understand, you know, as an outsider, whether it's even worth your time to sort of engage in that. Um, right, right. I think that's, that's, that's key, isn't it? I mean, the, 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 the works, David, I mean, uh, I, I found that I just wanted to sort it all out and decide which are working well and which are not working so well. But then I was finding, the same attitude that pervades every other aspect of this whole project seems to be the DNA of it is there in each individual piece. I mean, the, one would be looking at an object and thinking, you know, you could, you could go into somebody's house in Kreuzberg in Berlin and say, see this painting up there and say, oh, that's interesting. And the artist, the person would say, yeah, um, an artist gave that to my mother in 1972 and the day they both overdosed. And then you say, yeah, it's, it, was a, it is a poignant painting. Now I see that makes sense. Uh, but, but, but it's not. It's painted quite recently and by, by him for this. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of thinking that underneath all of all these kind of rhetorical ploys, is a kind of steampunk sentimentalist. Right. That he is kind of a, has a storybook uh, sort of teen illustrator um, idiom in which he has kind of dreamy fantasies about, you know, death and sexuality and longing that he's kind of protecting, he's burying under this kind of pileup of, of equally sentimental kind of loaded... Uh, associations and so you know that that he frames these productions and a lot of them I think of as kind of desktop mm. kind of drawing like um, you know f symbolist fantasy yes. um, reveries he he then buries them into the into the installation to, to kind of distance himself to kind of make them as mm. though they they were kind of a bit, a part of some other um, kind of attic archive yeah uh, is 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 the same kind of you know rhetorical you know yeah. um, what do you call it oscillation? But I think ultimately he's a sentimentalist. Yeah, I mean when one, one looks mm -hmm. at those images, the good ones, the what one what I think to be the good ones, uh, on a good day he looks a little bit like Francesco Clemente, a little bit mm -hmm. like R. B. Kitai, a little bit like a lot like Egon Schiele, or more like uh, a student doing a copy of an Egon Schiele. But then it's it's um, you know. Are we just falling into a trap by making those sorts of evaluations? I mean, obviously, that's an aesthetic approach, Paddy. What, well, um, what paintings are you talking about specifically that seem sort of steampunkish to you? Because the thing that I noticed about the paintings was that they were all like, well, they were mostly figurative. There's like clowns having sex one one mm -hmm. place, um, which I thought was 
I thought that was good painting. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but there was like mostly it was like people doing things, people in a park, people driving, people going to pray, people doing things together. Like they were all sort of about like the things that you do. Sure. So where does like steampunk fit into that? I guess um, I'm not that kind of technically aware of steampunk. I'm thinking of the kind of affect, the sort of du- the, the sort of dusty, old-timey yeah. um, sort of hipster-ishness mm-hmm. of them. So he, you know, he constructs these narratives, like you mm-hmm. said, uh, which are about groups, about the kind of complicated connections between them. They're not just simply doing something. They're often kind of interacting. Right. Boys, boys kind of horsing around, let's say. And it seems like it's about this kind of constitution of, of, uh, of, of groups cast within a kind of um, storybook farawayness, mm-hmm. um, lost time, um, semi-symbolist magical quality. And maybe those, I, I, are, yeah. those are qualities so, that I associate mm. with steampunk. So in re- response to that, I would say um, one, of the thi- one of the paintings that I responded to um, the most, and I think that like with this exhibition, you could pr- like pretty much it seems like you would go, you could go in and whoever you are, you'll find like whatever the thing is that you mm. uh, decide that you're going to, you respond to for whatever reason. But for me, it was a hipster kid um, mm. that like wearing like a hipster hat and underneath it said reincarnation. Oh, right. Yeah. And I kind of like, just in terms of like that to me, um, seemed kind of poignant within the context of things that felt like kind of old and like were meant to either like were being shot like a new they were sort of being looked at with a new light or you know maybe I think in some cases there was no reincarnation those Mm. those dolls there's so many creepy dolls in that exhibition (laughs) like I they're not going anywhere, but hmm. I I felt like that for me anyway was a kind of a a vision that um, that made the whole thing more poignant. Yeah, I think wh- where I, I think wh- where your notion of the the steampunk um, uh, resonated with me is that although it's not necessarily specifically steampunk, what I think what inspired you to use that phrase is the sense of uh, double nostalgia, because um, you know, it's he has a nostalgia for an hippie era, which itself had nostalgia for uh, the uh, symbolist period. So it's that double filtering um, that really uh, comes across uh, very strongly. But it's it's also this having your cake and eating it thing of constantly, um, you know, it's work that seems to have. Uh, an extreme of emotional investment in it, um, but presented in a way that has an intellectual diffidence about its own status. So it's. Uh, Did you guys take seriously like the, uh, the, the 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 kind of murdered mannequins to the left as you walked in, and and some blood smeared uh, bits, you know, in the back, and oh, a little blood know. is you know helps spice any kind of uh, <laughs> German romanticism, doesn't it? I mean, uh, we did. We're not talking. Interestingly, the. Um, Elephant in the room. We're not talking about his Germanness at all. Um, is that uh, is, is that irrelevant? Do we think? 
because uh, it seems to be very steeped in a kind of German romanticism. Right. Um, I mean, he does. Um, well, wh what I wanted to say specifically in, uh, ties into this, but um, there is on his part where his work does, you know, take into account German history, um, mm -hmm. both in terms of, you know, there's the like neo-fascist sort of drawings and um, some of the um, sort of, there's like one painting that's fairly abstracted with the Odal symbol um, in there as well. But there, it, I guess in his argument, there's some sense that there he wants there to be a shift in that mm -hmm. sort of reading of his work, that he doesn't want to be sort of pigeonholed or sort of um, typecasted as this, as this, you know, German artist um, making work about German history and, you know, homoeroticism, what have you. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is um, the sort of feeling of what is that thing that he's actually saying that's not that. Um, mm -hmm. And that, I think it gets a little, f uh, I, I get frustrated with that in terms of, you know, trying to read his work and changing that reading of his work um, as opposed to discussing that. Um, Maybe this is part of this, the German um, hyper-aversion to not being pinned down. Right. Mm. Um, so that, in the interview with Laura Hoffman, anything that she says, he'll yeah. disavow. Exactly. Uh, mm. Uh, mm. As though somehow he was like floating above it and could care less about mm. what you think. Mm. Um, but it that, that interview ends really well. I believe it's the ending. But that the l when she mentions that his... Which is a beautiful line that is he's, he's sort of attached to his work like as, as if he was attached by an umbilical cord and that like it's the only time where he could, like he's bleeding through his painting, which I thought mm. was of interest and kind of ties back to mm. sort of his how sensitive he is as a as an artist um, but you know uh, in terms of um, the sor the sort of German motif if mm. you will um, there's definitely something, you know, I look at it as, you know, kind of tied into is someone like uh, uh, Lucas Duenhoger, who also has a kind of like um, similar style um, and also had a show recently at Artist Space um, um, that actually went to London um, that was also a very expanse, expansive show with uh, you know, many mm. paintings and everything like that, but there's... There's something which is of interest, and in, uh, I think uh, Ken Johnson, who's here at the last uh, panel discussion, yes. he mentioned, which you know I'm not sure if I agree with him, but um, you know he he had this good line where he wasn't too sure if Kai Althoff could, you know, if his work, if his paintings could stand on their own, and then sort of having all these paintings that are surrounded with so much junk, as you put it, or different types of material that are you know collected or yeah, that's like very that. interesting because if you when you if you stand mm -hmm. if you have to stand for a long time online to get in, um, and it seems that's a sort of calculated way of adding some more infuriation to the whole experience. But right. they perhaps as a sop to you, there, there are three or four paintings hung in a very conventional way, just in a row on a white wall, and it's telling uh, as as one would know I mean, that you know if we were to see each of these works hung throughout the whole museum, if it was in the Guggenheim, like it's a long, <laughs> you sure would get bored with them. They're, 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 they're kind of repetitive, aren't they? And there's a lot of misses. But I, I do, I do yeah. think there are, for me at least, there are examples of these large sort of uh, shaped canvases yes. that are present. They're all... That multi are multi-panel yeah, multi things that are wedged ones, in. And they're all kind of situated, like there's one right when you walk into your left, 
that's mm. situated near, like right in front of those dummies that are dip, like behind that. Yes. Um, and there's one in the corner, and I believe there's another one. Mm-hmm. And those are, you know, in terms of, you know, a sort of thread or something, or a, a series, if you will, that is embedded within all this junk. Um, yes. It's something that I kind of, I mean, those in particular, there's one of a, a black figure and they're all kind of in this, you know, kind of weird, disorienting sort of style where you have, on one hand, you have this black figure lifting weights, um, and it's sort of to the side, and on top of the weights, you have a woman kind of projecting out, and it's kind of this, like, dream-like, um, and they all kind of have that sensibility and the sort of structure as well. Mm-hmm. It's completely disorienting and weird, um, but in terms of, like, sort of having, at least for me, having some sort of like one thing that you could sort mm. of see as like a consistent um i don't know theme or thread throughout the exhibition is like these these uh, at least for me those paintings really stood out um mm. yeah i thought if you if he I, I i think that's interesting if he had a conventional exhibition with the works hanging yeah. in, in a in a white room that would be to concede power to the cura- to the curator mm-hmm. And that's something he was unwilling to do because but the not curator just not just to the curator, but also to the proce- to an aesthetic agenda. To the, well, perhaps to an aesthetic agenda, but also to an institutional agenda, and so that the story that would be constructed would be out of his control, and that would then become a protagonist in the constitution of the Kyle story. It's not but even is, whole po- is this whole conversation moot though? Because like he was he didn't intend for the paintings to be shown that way in the first place. And like the last show I saw of Kai Altuff's, which was at um, Gladstone in 2011, was similarly arranged as though they were installations. I don't think, mm. at least in my experience of his work, which is limited to mm-hmm. these two shows, mm-hmm. um, he hasn't intended it to be viewed that way in the first place. But like the, works are, the works are owned, um, mostly. Well, sure, but as like, as I guess I thought that. But I still think. Sorry. Yeah. First of all, I think the paintings do stand on their own, mm. and I all of them or some of them. I would go to the map on that. Yeah, all of them. Well, I don't <laughs> remember all of them. There's a lot in that show. No, but as as you were walking <laughs> around the show, did you not have a sense of uh, this one's a pretty good one? These are a little flimsy. That's not bad. This is great. You didn't have that feeling? Because if that's, that's, that's the experience that it, he's trying to, I think, undermine. And it's, not a cura- it's the curator that's in each individual member of the public looking at it. But to finish th- what mean, your thing I was... I think that that's something that you would experience any time you experience any kind of show, though. Like, yeah. oh, this one's better than that one. Like, you know. I, I think his strategy is to deliberately undermine that possibility by always leaving the intellectual, emotional possibility that... His project is so grand and his soul is so fragile that these <laughs> works don't conform to that. Okay, well, here's a question. Sorry. Pat, I'm that's gonna, okay. I'm going <laughs> to shut up real soon. No, Here, no. This is a You're being paid not to. <laughs> this, this is a question for the panel. How does this work then compare to, say, like Jim Shaw, which, mm-hmm. like, mm. I feel like the new museum is like. Yeah. It's basically the cabinet of curiosities right now. For yeah. So it's surprising, one, that this show isn't there. Right. But mm. two, right. like, Jim Shaw was just there. He has 
all of these paintings that he has both collected and sure. has rendered right. himself. But the keepers is the same thing. And also uh, Chuckle right. was doing right. the same thing at the New Museum. Museum. Totally. Yeah, so it's, it's their, basically their house style. basically anything Massimiliano Gianni has curated. Yes, right. is yes <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, this it's falls this. in the, like... It's the, the outsider the inside. Yes. But like do we think like do you guys think that like Jim Shaw's approach is so significantly different in that he is like maybe more like virtuoso as it, or like his objectives no, are I think different? Totally different sensibility because he uh, he has his own work, but his curatorial work is part of his own work. Well, sure. Yeah. Whereas, um, and but as a curator, he's quite responsible and respectable, I think, in, in that he'll go out and find some Seventh-day Adventist murals and arrange them in a very taxonomically respectable kind of way. In a way, it's more but conventional. He never, mm. he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't huff and puff with such effort to yes. minimize the autonomy of, the wor of each individual mm. Piece and this right. is this is the peculiar address of this exhibition, exactly. which which and I think it would be a, it's it's an interesting question to Laura Hoffman mm. as to whether those those paintings out in the lobby uh, were part of the Altoff you know total vision or whether right. this was right. a concession to the institution <laughs> because in fact they did look or a joke about or an indexical joke about what you're going to experience once something you get like in. that but they look kind yes. of they look good they look more they had a kind of um, substantial autonomy mm, but they weren't um, very tastefully hung on that wall. There was three on very close to each other towards the end of one. And then there was another one on the another other side. Another one around the corner and then a big one on the other side. Yeah. That had a kind of yeah. different sort of muscularity yes. and, and yes. had a, um, at least this, the sense of, of a greater autonomy. But there's a whole standalone. slew of artists who, there's a whole um, kind of, um, uh, you could do a, a thesis about artists who collect objects and art by other artists into their own installation presentations, you know, from, uh, uh, I mentioned Trockel, but, uh, uh, you know, one could also say Joseph Kossuth would fit into that bill. Um, so it's the, it's the curatorship as an artistic gesture. But he's sort of there, but not there with this, because he is collecting himself. <laughs> let's turn quick, let's turn, and I don't think we need to give it quite as much attention, but let us turn to, I think, perhaps the uh, polar opposite artist, um, Martin Creed. Um, so there we have, inst uh, we, we're looking at a singular piece. Um, it's uh, uh, down in Brooklyn Pier. There you are. The word understanding um, that revolves like a weather vane, um, so sometimes it's backwards, uh, if, unless, you, unless you revolve with it. Um, and it swirls its way on the waterfront. It's um, perhaps it's the Anglo-Saxon answer to oi, yo. Um, <coughs> recently also seen in Brooklyn Bridge Park. Um, uh, what are we, what are we, what's happening here, Paddy? Um, <laughs> well, what I... What is your understanding of understanding? <laughs> uh, well, I guess I thought about this. I, when I started, I went to see it last night, and it was dark, and, you know, I think when you look at, and it's on the, like, on the waterfront, so when you look at, pretty much anything for um, like any kind of art for a longer ex 
period of time, I think it gets better. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, what that means quantitatively is just, I guess, for me anyway, I enjoyed looking at it the longer I sat there. Um, the piece itself does sort of fall into, like, um, public art, like, words. So, like, I was thinking about, um, there was the phrase, you belong here, that was um, similar, it was over a barge at Prospect mm -hmm. 3 that was uh, Tavera Strachan. Um, Monica Bavinci, Bavinci, I don't know, um, did Desire, that was on top mm -hmm. of uh, the New Orleans uh, Museum. Mm -hmm. And Prospect 1, um, there's Oyo, Jason Lazarus, Contemporary Art, um, which is a photo, mm -hmm. and Robert Indiana's Love. So that's just like the people I could think of off the top of my head. I would wager that everyone, including this piece, is not really that interesting to mm -hmm. me personally. Like I, Jason Lazarus, Contemporary Art, for those of you who haven't seen it, is a photograph which whereby he renders contemporary art, the words, with um, sp sparklers. And the mm -hmm. thing that I liked about that text was that the gesture of making the text gave you a better understanding of what contemporary art was. And in this sense, I felt like contemporary art was like um, sort of uh, one defined by text, <laughs> um, you know, it was sort of like it was fleeting, it was changing, and I had a better idea of like what his vision was. Understanding to me, um, like the the rendering of the word itself doesn't go that far. If you look at the press release, they talk about how this is like a non-commercial version mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. like you know, a billboard, they're not trying to sell you anything. Mm -hmm. uh, who cares, mm -hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> so it's like a Coca-Cola sign with no fizz. So. Yeah, Isn't but, the, but I, did th I did think that, you know, he has um, a, like he has a video where he sings understanding, and I thought that that was kind of funny and like you get a sense of his sense of humor mm -hmm. which is what he's known for and this comes across as this like super serious piece i kept wondering like mm. well what would happen if he just cranked up the speed on this thing and it was just like <laughs> <laughs> running like a helicopter or something like it does anything that like sort of gave me like a sense of yeah the artist's hand mm -hmm. a little bit better or sensibility? Well, you, well, you talk about the artist's hand. This is an artist whose who's canonical work won him the Turner Prize was a, a, a light to go on and off. So, I mean, well, we're, not, not, we're, not, uh, we're not dealing... I mean, this, is this a work a of epistemology or a work of aesthetics, David? Well, I, I guess I was going to say that it's a, it's a case of um, a kind of promiscuous blankness. It presents something without elaborating anything more than that thing that's being presented, and so it's, it solicits, it invites, it courts uh, projections of all kinds. Mm -hmm. So you can ascribe all kinds of adjectives to it, and each adjective kind of augments it slightly differently. And you can even think of it as, you know, there's this thing, understanding the word, what is it, a gerund? You know, it's kind of a noun, mm -hmm. it's kind of static, mm -hmm. it sits there, it doesn't, but then it could also be, you know, progressive. You could say, 
I am understanding X, Y, and Z. And so even that, just to kind of look at the, you know, it's language characters is already to sort of open it up. And so this is part of this drama that you're describing of spending time with it. Mm. Uh, as you spend time with it, more and more adjectives get thrown at it, and then the mm. thing expands. It's a, it's, it's a spinning understanding. When I was there, it was very sunny, and the shadow on the ground was very cool. Ooh, the shadow of understanding that sort of compressed, mm. turned into just the letter I for a moment, mm. and then spun again. Oh, that's an interesting little drama. So, but I was kind of doing all the, I was doing all the work. Right. Well, yeah, ah, that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, welcome to minimalism. I mean, that, that's, 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 the way, that's, it's, that's how it's supposed to function, right, Terence? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say I kind of I hate the piece. Um, <laughs> I've, I've really, I really struggled with it. Actually, I, I will say that, like, doing more research, because I think at first you have this the sign that just you know has a blank statement of mm. understanding, and you're kind of okay. What do I do with this? But it also kind of has, you know, these multiple or if not endless interpretations or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and to go back to your point about you know, so the press release is kind of funny because it does talk about it. Immediately talks about how it's you know it's making reference to the signs in Times Square, but here it's not selling you anything. It's just giving you the statement. Mm -hmm. But funny enough, understanding this video, it's it's part. It's a song in his new album um, that just came out. So in, in effect, he is selling his new album. It's <laughs> kind of <laughs> ah, that's why he's a neo conceptualist. <laughs> you see, um, yes. which I thought was. That was the part that I did like about it, because at least it was kind of like, you know, this kind of disingenuous sort of statement in some respects, or it was kind of, you know, again, like a big fuck you when you're trying to <coughs> promote this sort of more progressive idea or something like that. That was that in, in turn, like, at least kept but me that, engaged. I mean, that is a marketing thing. Like, I don't know that, like... I don't know that Martin Creed. Right. Yeah. I don't. That I don't yeah. I don't think. I don't think it's like uh, necessarily. You know. It's a deal breaker. But yeah. It's, I don't. It's a, and it's and a I don't footnote. think he's doing it on yeah. purpose. But you know, it's just ironic that that's the case. You know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, then you know, there's an article in the Guardian that talks about it, and apparently, it's a story of him and his um, his daughter-in-law coming up with this sort of like sign language th or this like handshake for love, peace, and understanding. Mm -hmm. which is like a sort of his relationship with his, his daughter-in-law. So it has this like very mm -hmm. earnest and kind of sentimental backstory to it, which is really strange. Um, and which, you know, you know, kind of know, I mean, I'm not, you know, a big fan of Martin Creed. I'm not super familiar with his work. I mean, I know about the, uh, the, the Turner Prize piece. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think for me, it's the sort of blanket statement of understanding and the sort of the sentimentality, uh, uh, sentiment behind it um, is somewhat, it's very vague and kind of, to be honest, uh, a little bit insulting um, right. for me, mm -hmm. um, especially when you look at it and, you know, I live close by and you kind of have, you know, the iconic sort of, um, you know, cityscape of downtown New right. York. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, and, you know, th that's a very loaded um, um, mm -hmm. scene. Um, and then you have this spinning thing, just saying understanding, and it kind of felt as like an affront to me, you know, being from New York, this sort of, you know, mm. it's kind of, you know, the press release says like, come to this, it's a social space where you could sort of have a conversation about what it means to be understanding and this kind of mm. silly language. Mm. And it, like for me, I was just constantly pissed off that he used that word. It's like, why, you know, he had an earlier piece that's like mothers, which again is, you know, 
uh, in his mind, you know, he just wanted to, I think it was in uh, some sort of um, um, praise to his own mother or something like that. I mean, there wasn't much right. thought put into it. But, you know, the whole time for me, and this was a game I was playing, it was like, what word would be more significant in this in this case? Um, and Oi. <laughs> or, uh, you know, I was, yes. I mean, part of it, mm. part of it is like when I, you know, I think it would have been mm. funny. Yes. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, no, no. well in no, a way, just, like understanding just, uh, comes and goes. It goes away. I mean, I'm not, right. this, is not a, this is not a generalization about the condition of understanding, but his articulation of it right. kind of disappears and returns, and it could be a celebration of the absence of understanding or right. the blankness of it. I mean, I found myself sure. kind of in this business of sitting there for a bit, like mm -hmm. thinking about under-sitting, yes. over overstanding, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the word started to kind of not make any sense to me. Right, like to, yeah. Like what it, the signifier and the signified to uh, split. Yes, and, you know, and that is, was kind of maybe a kind of elegant piece of, it's a good piece of engineered minimal sculpture, isn't it? I mean, at, at a certain level. It's, um, it's kind of bland, civic sculpture that works. Speaking of coming and going, the thing that it reminded me of, um, the last piece that I saw by Martin Creed was at Gavin Brown many years ago, it was maybe seven years ago, and it was an installation of like various videos on loops. And the video that I remember um, which took up an entire room was this p this video of a dick just rising mm -hmm. and falling. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, like, you know, there's some similarity here between <laughs> 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 this sign that's, that has a purpose in one direction yes. and not in another. Mm -hmm. And, like, this thing that's similarly just sort of, like, it's just on a loop. Mm. Right, on so a loop. I think that's a good a good moment in which to bring in our audience on both Creed and Althoff. Um, unlike all other panels you've ever been to, in this one you're encouraged to make statements, not ask questions. Um, statements that can beg questions by all means, but uh, do not feel inhibited if you just want to say something. You don't have to pretend it's a question. And, and uh, Meredith has the mic, so... Um, We'll just take it as it comes. Althoff, Althoff. Actually, no. Let's not take it as it comes. Let's do it in a certain order. Let's let's start with Althoff. Anybody got anything to to share with us? Uh, insights into Kai Althoff. Uh, your readings, um, very welcome. Thanks. Please do wait for the mic, because we do record for later podcast at artcritical.com. Thanks. So I'll just ask a question uh, about Althoff, and you talked about his, his German um, ethnicity being an elephant in the room, and I guess I was thinking that MoMA is the other elephant in the room, because I also thought, yeah, this is a new museum show, but it's at MoMA, and um, I think you know, a lot of us have sort of a fascination for what MoMA does and when they do it and why they do it, and they're, in a, you know, they're reassessing their collection and they're rehanging it, and I'm just wondering if you think that this is part of a program of MoMA to open the doors to new ideas, new curatorial models, um, things that kind of break the mold of what they've done in the past. Hmm. My, my first instinct is, is that it seems as though you are um, casting MoMA as one coherent thing. 
And I think MoMA is a kind of a complicated tangle that involves a lot of interests and, and, and ambitions that are, that are kind of loosely harmonized under one roof. And so that I think that it makes sense to kind of think about Laura Hauptmann and the way she has kind of harmonized her curatorial ambitions, curatorial ambitions in relationship to the overall MoMA juggernaut let's say. Also um, notable, she does come from the new museum. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she what mm-hmm. where she did do um Elizabeth Payton among others. So there's yeah. there's like uh definitely a kind of romantic, wistful agenda there. If only actually that I mean I'm a big fan of um Payton and I felt so let down by the new museum show, which was like um took about five years to recover from it, I think, intellectually. <laughs> I, and it needed a little Althoff-ism in its installation to, to just reanimate its uh, bohemian grunge aspect, maybe. So maybe that, maybe, she, maybe that model presents the reason why you don't want to take a conservative curatorial approach to an artist like Althoff, or even allow, allow him to do so. But yes, um, yes. Uh, and when you finish, Dennis, pass it back a couple of rows. Um, yes. Uh, of the panel, I, I think David probably remembers most when Kai Althoff first came on the scene, which was an entirely different prospect. I mean, they were individual paintings. They were quite um, compelling in their little narratives, and it was coming at a time uh, against a background of abstraction when, you know, figuration, like new figuration was kind of entering into the scene, like Elizabeth Payton, uh, um, but also Curran and uh, Uscavage and a number of other people were all exhibiting at that time, at least in New York. That's my only context. So when I saw the exhibit at Barbara Gladstone, I was really taken aback because I'd kind of really loved those early Altoff paintings. They were kind of twisted. They had sort of a gay subtext too, it seemed to me. And I, it seems to me that despite your idea about MoMA having a, you know, a multi-level thing, that there is an, an element in MoMA of glorifying um, Dada and mm-hmm. the Dada impulse, mm-hmm. uh, it, given it, the way they um, they hang their permanent collection, you know the early post-impressionists um, either you either go to Picasso and the Cubist or you go like straight into Dada. So you're saying that whatever gets curated at MoMA needs to adhere to one of its genealogical lines. I, I, well, I see this, uh, uh, you know, as an example of, I mean, kind of part of their genealogical lines has been a continuous devaluation of, of painting as a major force in the 20th century and giving way to minimalism and conceptual art. Hmm. Um, Anyway. And right, so that would then be this would be another um, forever now show of of a painter who's anti-painting. That's a, that's the possibility in the curatorial 
misreading of his own work. But he started out completely different. That's right. Why it's he was, I mean, in a way, he was like, what was he? He, he was aggressively twee, but, and, and, which is interesting, but also, like what you're saying, I like the idea of forever now, again and again. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a, a, a real eternal recurrence here. Pass it to the gentleman, uh, to Brent, who has the red T-shirt there, yes. Hi, thank you. Um, in Use the mic, will you? In yes, discussing uh, both these artists' work, um, I definitely heard the theme of uh, infuriating, <laughs> and then uh, I heard that more than uh, any compliments such as warm or endearing or modest. And I'm thinking of another person on the scene who, uh, for many of us, certainly for me, generates a similar uh, type of infuriation. He's going to be uh, speaking tomorrow night on television. Can you <laughs> imagine who I may be referring to? His initials are DT, and I don't mean delirium tremens, although my own uh, furiousness at that individual becomes a kind of self-hatred, really. I hate myself for and everybody else for giving him and these artists the kind of attention that they shouldn't be getting. They have succeeded, you know, God damn it. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> um, a anybody have a, a, a quick comment to share on, on uh, or insight into Martin Creed? Yes, uh, let's take the mic to the, over there, thanks, uh, Meredith. I did, I did see the Martin Creed um, piece down at the waterfront on my way to Governor's Island to see an old friend's Michael Richards show. And I, I, gave it a, I gave it a long look because I was waiting for the ferry for about half an hour. And the piece infuriate, infuriated me because of all I could think of was how much money and power does Martin Creed have to, mm. to get creative time to buy that to pay for that, maybe in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for a piece that's I think it was so a public art fund. Public public art art fund. fund. Yeah. 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 What? It's I believe it was a public fund. art fund, not creative time. Not, okay, public art fund. You know, I, I also, I would just add that um, in my humble opinion, the public art fund has a long history of commissioning terrible public art. <laughs> <laughs> I would say this, this, is it, this would be included in, the, in this that. This is right in line I with forgot what they it, do. I forgot it very quickly when I, when, when I got to Governor's Island and looked at Michael Richards' show, and which was deeply felt and beautiful. And I went back, and I didn't want to look at the Martin Creed piece again. And um, with, I haven't seen the Kai, Kai Altoff show, but I did see it in 2011 at um, Barbara Gladstone, like a couple of other people, and I was really taken by the quality of his work. And I'm, um, and I'm wondering whether anybody else feels this way that's seen the show at MoMA, whether it's about fear and his lack of courage to let the serious painting stand on their own without a kind of Peter Marino Park Avenue style clutter um, and, or thrift store kind of clutter. Couldn't he, could he let the pieces stand on their own? I think a couple of people on the stage touched on his, the quality of his work being able to stand on its own 
and I'm wondering why Mama gave him that opportunity without that kind of. Well, uh, that was that was the that was our whole discussion, mm -hmm. but yeah, you're right. It's 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 we didn't answer it, but it wasn't an answerable. Uh, but let's let's now move on to part two. Um, part two, Terence uh, Glenn Legon, who was in fact uh, among the first artists to be discussed on this stage in the review panel here in the Brooklyn Public Library. Library uh, is the catalogue essayist for uh, Julie Muretu. He talks of a social abstraction in her work. Does that come across? I mean, I read, I read the, and thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I, I think it does apply here. I think for the most part, so I think my first reaction to it, they're, they're very large paintings. Um, so the, you kind of you kind of feel kind of again overwhelmed by the sheer size of these paintings, um, um, uh, but in terms of how they're made, the uh, artist Julian Retu took or called images from the internet um, and took uh, specifically images of. Um, I mean, there's one piece that's Ferguson. There's another, you know, um, references to the Arab Spring and the bombings in Syria. Um, and took images from the news um, and abstracted them um, and uh, essentially went back into the, airbrushed them onto a canvas and then went with her mark making in black. Um, and I think in the Glenn Langan essay, there's like this understanding that, you know, looking at images and he references Richter um, and sort of abstracting them or covering them um, in the way that doesn't necessarily take away from that the evidence of that picture or what the picture is showing, but really kind of demonstrating a sort of dialectical or sort of dialogue between um, an artist and how these sort of mass media images function. Um, and I think for the most part, it's sort of, in my mind, sort of kind of not so much an attack on the, on the sort of figuration versus abstraction. I think there's there is a relationship there, but really a sort of um, an attack on or some type of um, struggling with uh, mass media and how uh, the media portrays uh, these sort of traumatic events. Mm, right, um, yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, so, so David, we, we've got getting a, a different side of Marito in this show from what we've been used to. Um, the architectonics are, are more buried and there's a more of a loose gestural uh, feeling. Uh, do, do they work as um, abstract paintings in your mind? Well, the thing that impressed me about them that I um, didn't expect was the range of voices, the, the, uh, the variety of articulations mm -hmm. within each painting so that Sometimes she'll have like very crisply articulated um, geometric lines mm -hmm. that play against airbrushed uh, features that seem to be conjuring something from within the picture and then a kind of mark making that ranges between kind of uh, depictions of things to kind of calligraphic um, kind of writing like forms so that you have this uh, I a variety of kind of voices within each painting that kind of aggregate into a kind of a weather condition 
that seems like a sort of a consciousness, but consciousness in a state of kind of, you know, uh, reflection, sort of um, articulating a kind of grave uh, attempt to make contact with serious, broader social conditions. Now, the images down below are gone, but the marks on top seem to be kind of trying to reach in, conjure from, um, articulate very a, a whole set of different relations. So yes, I think they kind of hang together from this kind of noise of heterogeneous mm. um, articulations in a way that I, I found very impressive and right. kind, of, kind of moving. Now, whether that achieves uh, what we were asking yeah. about abstraction, I sure, think it no, does. That's, that's I mean, I think that's like the most beautiful description of paintings that I thought were totally terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, and I just, I cannot believe like how compelling that that description is. <laughs> Well, perhaps the, perhaps the description will survive and the paintings will disintegrate and <laughs> you'll be happy. But the, mean, like the ecrastic poets will say, was there really a painting that David Humphrey was describing? Or <laughs> like there's a, there's a lot of Syria in these paintings which I never would have gotten if I hadn't read the essay, if I hadn't looked at the titles. The cap I understand why you took us, made us get away so that everybody could see the captions, mm -hmm. but like... I thought that particularly in the front room, the paintings were too flat. They, um, for me anyway, I felt like um, there was a lot of mark making and when there was sort of um, the, sort of the architectural references that I think she's very well known for, mm -hmm. they seemed superfluous to me. In the other rooms, there were a few where you could see like kind of the prism of of light come through. The, there was a beautiful like bluish pink light that would come through the paintings. And I thought, okay, well this is a little bit better. There's some depth here. It, I don't know what the hell this is, but like they still look like things that are, <coughs> they're, they're dark, gray things that didn't seem to amount to much of anything to me. And hmm. and I felt like um, in the that was like the worst aspect of that happened in the with the drawings. Oh. Because the drawings are more um, have more clarity to them, don't they? They're more legible. They're yeah, they're a little bit more legible. Like there's a, uh, a like the six panel the aquatint, the, yeah. the print. The yeah. aquatint, like that, like you could see the architectural renderings mm. of various architecture from, from Syria, but mm -hmm. it seemed like the amount of like manipulation that had been done was fairly minimal, like she turned them upside down, mm -hmm. you know, like that, mm. like I felt like at, in terms of like what you could do to transform that, it looked like I didn't even understand why it was in six panels. It looks like, it looked like it was made for a corporate space, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. like, and then I felt like the like the whole gallery was oddly too dimly lit for the the paintings. Like I felt like they would have worked better. Like the light qualities in it, like might have worked better if they were lit differently, and it the whole thing didn't mm -hmm. seem like. 
a tomb. Yeah, which I guess was the point, but like it, the mm-hmm. little bits of light, like you can sort of interpret that as like, mm-hmm. okay, it, you know, ray of hope in this, mm-hmm. yes. like in this image. But I, I just think that the, on some level, like those, like the photographs tell you more, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and like the paintings, I'm unconvinced by the the message of those paintings. Mm-hmm. Well, do you take seriously the idea that um, that there might be some kind of psychosocial work being done uh, in the act of obliterating the photograph? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You sort yeah. of you, you sort of make, you can, you make the f- I mean you re articulate the photographs. She paints them, so I don't even we don't know because it's mm-hmm. gone, mm-hmm. and so we kind of go on faith that this buried thing needed to get buried and that something is being accomplished in that burying. Now, I, I, I'm not sure, sh- I think it would be, you know, it's kind of challenging to kind of say, well, w- what's the political uh, efficacy of that? Mm-hmm. But you do, I think you can kind of say that there's a, you know, a, a, a psychological kind of work being done in relationship to some broader, you know, um, catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, if the yeah, photographs absolutely. were, if, if the if the source material was um, intelligible and legible, then the the act of evisceration could have a, a symbolic uh, resonance. Um, if not, and if we need to be informed in order to even know that what's underneath is underneath, or what was behind was behind, then. Um, we're in a situation where what we're left with has to have its own beauty in order to have that catharsis. Mm-hmm. And so then we, we, we either have to come back to, is, is this a kind of um, critical decor, or is this, uh, you know, d- is this work, at, at what level is this working? Mm-hmm. I mean, Do I just want to make clear that yeah. I'm not suggesting that, the, that those paintings would have been better if they looked more like the photographs or were more pictorial. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that I think they fail mm-hmm. on the level of like abstract painting. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. they're, they look pretty generic to me. Mm-hmm. It could that be, are they perhaps even trying to be? I mean, what, what do you think her, what do you think her aesthetic ambitions are, Terence? Well, I think, I think, so when I, w- when I went into the, the show for the first time, you know, I didn't, I didn't read any of the titles. I just sort of experienced the work on its own. Um, and the first thing that you sort of get, and similar to the, the Kai Elthoff show, is you know, you're kind of searching in these paintings for, for something, and there's a lot to look at. There's a, they're very large, and there's a lot of different types of mark making. And I think in terms of, in terms of that alone, it's a very, they're very interesting on that part. There's, you know, there's you know, the ink sort of very small, like hatch marks uh, of, of, the, of, the bu- of the brush that sort of have the sort of sensibilities or sort of look like cave paintings in, in some respects. There's, you know, these these nice uh, clear cutouts of like black tape in a lot of the paintings or like that looks like electrical tape of some sort mm-hmm. um, that's on the on the surface as well. There's, you know, the sort of crisp wool sort of graffiti style on top of that as well. There's um, there's also if you look at if you look closely, you know, you'll have some type of figuration that's either there on purpose or sort of just gets blended into all the, mm-hmm. the, the sort of mark making. But 
there is a sort of motif of a, there's always like a thumbs up. There's like a hand and a thumb in some of the pictures. There's it's Philip Gustin. Eyeball. Yeah, Philip Gustin as well. Mm. There's like a lot of sort of these references to art history. So that, mm. for me at least, was very engaging. You're sort of right. packed into this sort of whirlwind of like a history of mark making and what that could mean and what she's going through in terms of making the painting. Um, but I will say, um, I mean, I will agree with you on the on the on the part of the, the third floor was in my mind, not as interesting and a little bit boring. And I do believe, I, I agree with you, like the sort of six panel, although it is a very impressive print, mm. um, it does some sort of come across as like a corporate sort of work. And especially in the press release, they kind of at the end sort of like celebrated as this, the epigraph Damascus, like six panel printmaking or whatever print. Um, but I, I will say in terms of, you know, what it's trying to do and Again, knowing more about what the process is and you know her taking these images that are called from the internet and from the news, I think there's this this element where she's she's looking at these images uh the sort of like logical like straightforward images of of these horrible events um, and trying yeah necessar- like deconstructing them and, and and somehow saying that these are just not enough when you mm. look at these images you're sort of mm. informed in a way that may be misleading or you know we are so inundated with all these like the the media mass media all these images of like you know mm. the dead bodies or you know we're kind of we're kind of you know conditioned to see these images in a certain right. way and right. i think she's trying to yeah. you know Anyways. Great. Let's actually turn our attention to Lorna Simpson because here we're dealing with an artist um, also um, with, a, with a very different kind of relationship to source imagery and um, the transformative power of uh, the translation from the photographic to the painterly. Um, what, was the, what, was this, what was the sensation of, of time or period or... Um, mood that that came across for you, uh, uh, Paddy, with with Lorna Simpson. Did she put you? Did she put us in? Did she put us in a particular? Did she have a sense of history in these paintings? Um, I think I think so. I mean, uh, so the paintings. Basically, like to my mind, there are like two groups of paintings. There's the paintings um, that were drawn from Ebony magazine, and that was a suite of like six or seven works um, that had um, used that as their starting point, and then um, uh, removed figures or removed parts of the figure, um, removed text, that sort of thing. And then she had these larger paintings that maybe it was a painting of like a grid of nails or something like that. And in the, um, uh, there was also a, a collage of sort of uh, explosions in a cityscape mm-hmm. and uh, a, s- a stairway that seemed um, to be marred with red. Um, and all of that seemed to uh, evoke um, a history of uh, race relations in the United States um, that was has not been particularly good. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, 
it was situated in Salon 94, which has this huge space that, uh, well, it's actually kind of small, but it's in a like basement that <laughs> goes up to so the, the whole yes, thing. Yeah, yes. it's soaring. It's exactly right. So there's a kind of cathedral-like yeah. element to... So echoing, actually, the, the, the grandeur of that rather Baroque, high modern staircase that the, the woman is walking up in that... Yeah, so there's a, I think the space gives the work a real kind of additional gravitas. And mm. I, th you know, I, it took me a while to kind of figure out where I stood with these paintings. But, mm. you know, as I took another look at them, um, I, I thought that they were really pretty moving and effective. Yes. I felt that um, there was a, the, one of the uh, suite of ebony um, paintings where there was just eyes mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. looking at you, I thought was um, disconcerting. And it sort of, it reminded me of this other piece that she had done, which was there was an image of a black woman pouring um, in like a white gown, pouring water out. And then there was text below that said, she saw him disappear by the river. They asked her to tell what happened, only to discount her memory. And that, I thought, was a, that was a very powerful piece done, I think, in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But then this piece, I felt like, told that whole story, like, told, built on that story in a way that, you know, you didn't, you didn't need the text. And right. so there was, like, she, she also had this, like, text that had, it was a, a serif text mm -hmm. where the the seraphs like seem to turn into like bleeding eyes mm -hmm. mm. and all of those seem to suggest a kind of just a very painful dark history and there was a poignancy with which she represented that that I found very moving. Yes. The Rauschenbergian effect of the uh, montage, uh, the integration of paint with photographic source imagery, and the um, almost facing each other. Uh, the, the, the installation, I thought, was very powerful, David, the way you had those, uh, the, the yellow and the red paintings facing each other. And one mm. has a kind of dark foreboding, um, but enigmatic sort of s things happening on the street. And the other had a kind of serenity but tension, tense serenity um, of that uh, modernist interior, um, sort of facing each other, facing off against each other and the nails against those um, ads from Ebony. Um, what did you think of the way in which source and, and painterliness um, interact? Well, I thought they were very elegant and very, very beautiful, and I thought that she um, gently... Uh, exercise a kind of um, a poetic intervention with the source image um, by stoking metaphors, let's say, between the liquidity of the paint and the kind of s the explosion, or between the bullet holes and the eyes and, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 drips that would come from them. That was the paint. I found I found myself kind of wondering about the the, the elegant kind of. Um, organization of them, this kind of Rauschenbergian grid, the sort of just so mm -hmm. beautifully calibrated relationship between the ink and the and the kind of um, low res ground, um, thinking that that maybe this was a sort of um, 
uh, what, what's the word, a, a, a tamping down of the kind of seriousness of the political uh, circumstance that, it, that it's wanting to evoke. And that in a weird way, I felt she was kind of protecting herself and, and kind of not engaging and maybe even sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, like sort of protective, she, she was assuming a position of protective opacity mm. and using, using kind of elegance and, uh, and, and aesthetic terms mm-hmm. to kind of um, keep it tamped down, put it at a distance. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know if, that, if, 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 if you feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that, I thought that the, that the hyper-aesthetism was doing some kind of Psychosocial work. And yes. I'm trying to figure I out what that was. Felt that way so, yeah. in the larger um, works. Yeah, Terence. Um, it's. I think inevitably we're, we're getting to a point where we feel. I, I feel it's a need to compare and contrast. I mean, mm-hmm. because the both uh, Moreto and uh, Simpson um, are dealing with big history, mm-hmm. and they are also mm-hmm. dealing with aesthetic strategies, mm-hmm. and and some degrees of. Um, willful or intuitive distance. Um, how do you feel they, do you, do what do you feel they, they well compare, I mean I don't, we don't need to evaluate, I right, mean, right, but right. do you feel that one is tapping a route that the other isn't getting to unearth the other? Well isn't I, think, I think they're doing very similar things. I think the mm. main difference, on one hand, Moretti is probably, there's essentially, you know, covering what say modern day mass, you know, media images completely abstracting them to somehow reveal something about them. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lorna Simpson is doing something different. I think, sh- for one, I think that like she's still looking at sort of archival images as opposed to modern day images. And, you know, there's no, there's no real references to like, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter or like black bodies that are dying right now that I see mm-hmm. in these works necessarily. But there is you know, calling from, you know, Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazines, uh, which are, um, you know, magazines made for and by African-Americans. Um, and there's an element where that's like, instead of covering, um, she's, there's a fragmentation that's going on, a sort of moving parts around, um, and, and also taking things out. Um, because I know with the ebony images, there are sort of advertisements and sort of taking them to their rawest essential thing or using, using parts of it to sort of talk about, I think, specifically, um, you know, I mean, a current, you know, mm. ongoing theme in her work is black female subjectivity. Yeah. But I think here there's something, again, where it's not, again, as sort of like fragmenting things to sort of reveal something or to take things out and sort of edit things here and but I wouldn't necessarily there's definitely something about a sort of social engagement um, but I definitely feel that it's still like in terms of how she functions there's something that is still about like counter narratives that I think is important Mm -hmm. here or counter counter narratives of counter narratives because she's working with you know, printed media of a certain time. Uh, yes. There's something about that. You know, there's always there's the little time time feature right. in this, in yeah, this yeah, wall yeah. in the corner, yeah. and, and 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 the and the kind of enlarging and the, almost the kind of delectation of the dot mm-hmm. matrix of mechanical right, of reproduction the, yeah. that has the effect in a way of kind of making it making it seem very far away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have mm-hmm. it doesn't have that kind of urgency. Let's right. say that you were right. talking about of, of like a political. Um, feeling right. There's current. Yeah. Yeah. There's something else going on, and Mm -hmm. and I think, 
maybe this is, this is like an inflammatory comparison, but it would be very interesting to think about this in relation to, say, Kelly Walker. Right, right, Who's right. in big trouble. Right. For doing something kind of similar and a little bit more kind of, you know, jazzed up. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, of course, you know, he, he somehow mm-hmm. failed to articulate and failed in a kind of catastrophic, stupid way mm-hmm. to articulate how his work can bear on these like very urgent uh, political matters mm-hmm. about you know race in America. Right, right. Um, anyway, do, I, do, yeah. do you guys have any feeling about like the re- like the differences, the relationship between these two bodies of work? I mean, maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that's too hot to handle. Um, the Kelly Walker. Yes. Fill us all in, just just in case somebody's missed Kelly Walker. So just quick description. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's he's enlarged um, uh, magazine. First of all, reproductions of uh, of uprising riots from the '60s, um, and kind of smeared or smeared chocolate on, or the reproduction of chocolate onto them, and then uh, and at the same time, um, very enlarged images from um, I can't even remember the names of the magazines. Kind mm-hmm. of sexy. Yeah. And he's, he's white, white. and yeah, he's, he's a white, white guy, and so <laughs> he's in, and he's doing this thing in St. Louis, and he's in trouble because he's asked like, "Hey, what does this have to do with, um, you know, our our problems here and and race in America?" And he's like, "You know, I don't know. Leave it to you." He he failed to right. uh, articulate it, and so what is, um, so now we have Lorna Simpson on the other side. So she has a slightly, she has kind of a little bit more. Um, What's the word? She's got you the know. credentials. Yeah, she's got some credentials. You can talk about it. To deal with it. And right. yet, in yeah. some ways, it's kind of cooler. It's more elegant. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a little, uh, you know, conforms to kind of, let's say, mid-century modern um, kind of aesthetic criteria. I feel like that has some, that has some kind of psychopolitical charge to it. Right. But it might be a kind of a, like a little bit of a gesture of saying, I. I want to invoke it, but I don't want to deal with it, or I don't want, I don't want to turn mm. this into an editorial. Mm-hmm. Right, because that is the danger, isn't it, with, with uh, any kind of... You know, it's funny, because that, like, that aestheticization was exactly the reason why when I went in there, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, I, like, it's... Like, what's... Like, is this a good thing? Um, mm. And, I mean, I... I guess I would still, I still think though that, like when I went back to look at the ebony stuff, I still, like the the smaller works, like to me, I can, I can see that yes, they are like, like they're aestheticized, but I still think they speak and they, they have an actual message and I'm, not like I think I'm that didn't bother me it bothered me with the bigger works I'm not even sure that it bothers me I'm just kind of trying to calibrate it yeah like, the, exactly. like what exactly is the what is, what, is, what is the how do you hmm. what is the character of the of the politics and in the inside these things which are obviously invoked invited and of course again especially against the background of contemporary um the contemporary crisis, let's mm-hmm. say, of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you know, white supremacist American, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ideology. 
Terence, uh, final I, word on this uh, knotty <laughs> subject? It's a hard question to answer. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I do, you know, this is the, the one show that I feel like was uh, one the most digestible, but also the hardest to sort of really sort of delve into and sort of see what's really going on. Um, I mean, beyond obviously, like, you know, you know, with enumerated with the nails and um, I think the press release and the current, um, n like, the thought behind it that it's supposed to represent the hatch marks of being in prison, which I don't really like that interpretation or whether or not that was the intention, but... It, it, it doesn't look like that, It doesn't though. look like yeah, it. Like, what? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's the same photograph yeah, repeated. Make, yeah, yeah, that, I kind of, that bothered me a lot, but th at the same time, there's something obviously very graphic, obviously very moving, obviously very inviting and pleasurable, but there's obviously something else going on. And I think, again, this idea, because these are, um, from what I understand... Let's, let's speak to the audience. Okay, and sorry. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something that is very important in terms of what there is a shift um, in terms of what she's done in the past. She's been working in collage, in watercolor, um, there's a lot of text-based stuff, and there's also text in here, but, and I believe these are her first, like, major paintings as well, um, but there's definitely a shift in terms of just moving things around and sort of, again, editing and sort of fragmenting everything, yeah. and I think that has something to, s something to say in terms of what the images she's looking at and how to change the mm. narratives that we're so mm. used to right. in, a, in some way. I'm not sure exactly. So, so, so is it like a redescription, a recontextualizing, a gentle recontextualizing? Yeah, I think, I, think I, I mean, the way I look at it, it's a counter-narrative to a counter-narrative. And what that is exactly, I'm not sure. I can't really speak to that, but it feels if you're, if you're referencing material from Ebony and Jet Magazine and sort of looking specifically at sort of the advertisements and taking the sort of bare and just looking at different parts of it and sort of, ex you know, giving um, sort of these edited versions of it, whether it's just the eyes and like kind of almost leaving it up to you to sort of take in what that means. I think mm. it's a little bit more open in that sense. Well, it's art. It's, it's, well, yeah, it's, not, it's not editorializing. It's not, it's an, it's not an Do we Oh, sorry. Do we think yeah. that like if that by using paint like just that gesture in, or in and of itself is in some ways aestheticizing the subject? Like, does it, it's a question, I, I'm not sure I, I know thought the I took it as, in some ways, analogous to Julie Moretu's um, ambivalent attempt to both reach into the image, to make contact with it, to touch what was there deep behind the screen in, pa in the mm -hmm. past, mm -hmm. but then also to vandalize it, to, to right. efface it. So, mm -hmm. so that's, a, you know, that's an interesting kind of you know, gentle ambivalence. I saw it as being aestheticizing in the, in, the, in the vein of Andy Warhol and Robert Rauschenberg um, taking American disasters or uh, um, taking the fragmentation of modern life and making it... Uh, Making them it gestures within a painting, and let and let the let the audience figure it out for themselves. Yes, be or kind of mute. Don't you know? Don't, do don't yes. Don't. It is it is a, a melange of uh, of gestures. Uh, some just the gesture of extracting certain images from the culture, and the gestures of um, generating certain images with the hand, with the body, with chance. I, I mean, I completely agree with that, but I do believe there's something. 
in that sort of dialogue, there's something mm. to be said about what the content she's using. She's very explicit about that. Oh, yeah. Political. It's not gratuitous. It's not just random right. content, of mm. course. No, I think uh, it's, it's poignant it's, um, and it, it pointed. Yeah. Audience, um, the, the, the issue of social abstraction, so uh, taking imagery, taking ideas, taking concepts that have uh, huge uh, uh, weight, disasters of war, uh, race relations, and it, it's being the impetus for an aesthetic uh, experience or using the aesthetic process to sublimate or reanimate uh, that material. That, that's, I think, those are the issues that really come up in this discussion, both of Moretu and of um, uh, uh, Simpson. And, and we want to hear from, from, from the audience now. What do we, what can, I, can I add one uh, little bit to it? I'm sorry. Mm, Art's, actually we- uh, Art's weakness in relationship. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I take it back. Or, uh, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> Can't give us half an epigram. Come on. Let's, let's have it. Yeah. Okay. Art's, yeah? Oh, I was going to say, like, uh, that, that it perhaps is, each of them are talking about Art's in- inadequacy, Art's right. inability to rise to these Right. These forces these these. Uh, well, then, uh, in which case, uh, um, we yeah. can we can we can pull Creed and Althoff into the same. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Audience, yes. Please. Um, it seemed as though there was some consensus that uh, both of these artists avoided didacticism in their in their shows, that they weren't editorializing or they weren't sort of dictating what one should take away from it while tackling these big huh. sociopolitical issues, um, or that's at least how it seemed. But I was wondering if you could maybe contextualize these shows within a broader context. No, we're done. We want to hear from you. <laughs> well... I thought we were allowed to ask questions. Only statements? Um, I was curious if um, how you thought it fit into a broader landscape of artists who are using you know, t- current events and disasters as, as subject matter, as source material, or are trying to affect social change through their artwork, and um, whether these are successful shows in that, whether a lot of artists are doing successful work in that vein, or whether these really stand out for being non-didactic but effective. Good, thank you. Ah, yes, uh, behind you, Meredith. Just uh, very briefly, uh, I'm not an art critic or a professional in this field at all, uh, but I like uh, the idea of taking um, historical events, either from the past or the present, that are flattened by documentary reporting and layering uh, a layer of um, organicism on them through some sort of um, artistic addition. Uh, I, I think it's very interesting. Cool, thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, lots of hands. I'll leave it to you, Meredith, to... So I wanted to say something about the um, Simpson show because I went there today and I sort of agreed with you that the really large pieces for me were less powerful because I couldn't stop thinking of Rauschenberg. But the seven ones that were on the wall, as you were saying, David, that you felt that they were very sort of gentle and maybe removed. To me, they, I found them extremely moving and 
actually poetic in a way because she took these very commercial images from a magazine from a long time ago and sort of revealed certain aspects of them without being violent or showing the, the aggression that's going on in the situation that's happening now with our whole tragic uh, assaults between race and police and all that. But she just, she, I thought they were very moving uh, in the fact that they were very poetic in a way. And to be able to achieve, to make people look at these issues in a less um, violent way, but sort of showing that there is something that, that's painful and that, that's really sad, actually, I think was very successful in those seven pieces. Tender. More than tender, it was like poetry, something poetic, and the polka dots of the drawing of the images that were actually suggestive of of gunshot holes or something like that. Just the slight transformation she made. I don't think were just purely aesthetic. I think there was something <coughs> moving about the fact that they were beautiful, but also they make you reflect on the sadness of what's really happening. Right. I've just been thinking about um, the relationship between Moretu and uh, Richter's Bader-Meinhof paintings mm -hmm. and whether that was something that she was conscious of. Of course, she shows in the same gallery, but her choice to move away from very graphic and aesthetically pleasing work uh, of her past um, to something, to go to Grisaille, mm -hmm. and then to um, kind of, not as beautifully as he did, but kind of fuck it up. And I just, um, I thought that was really interesting. And um, the more I looked at these paintings, the more I felt the complexity, saw the complexity of them, and um, they just became richer and richer the, long, the longer I looked at them. Hmm. Right, thank you. Um, yeah, over here. Um, I would like to make a general comment on the four artists. I don't know if it was intentional on your part, but first we had two male artists that uh, they had a very I mean, they had a look at their interior world, um, their messy room, the big toy in the park we had to mm -hmm. uh, face. Uh, and then you had two female artists, and they were looking at the outside world. Uh, their work is, was highly political. Um, so I don't know if it was intentional on your part uh, to separate the men looking inside and the women looking H outside. How would you have paired them up? What is it? How would you like to have paired them up? Oh, this, uh, I don't With know. These, if you had these four artists right. and you wanted to mix it up and, and generate comparisons and good discussions, how would you have paired them? No, it was interesting. It's just, oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if I would, you know, recurate. All right. <laughs> You're sure? I, f I thought it was an interesting, I don't know. All right. And yes. I have an additional comment that I would like to make also of... Uh, uh, the difficult relationship of the German boy with the institution. I think it's very interesting that 
I think it links to all artists, what they are dealing with is the politics and the market. Um, the art world has acquired all playgrounds for artists, and so there's not many room to transgress. And now the art world is, um, they're kind of pushing the Oedipus complex to the max, like mm. transgress me or leave me. And <laughs> And I think that uh, I, I understand the difficult relationship with institution. And I think uh, here in the US, we are much more comfortable with the market than we are in Europe. Um, so that's what I wanted to say. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for both those comments. Great. And um, OK. Yes. Ah. Um, I think one was by an African-American artist, the, the one with the ebony. Actually, the last two, last two last were both, two uh, well, African-African well. and African-American, yeah. yes. Does that mean uh, an African-American would interpret um, art in a different way than um, uh, mainstream um, America? Because I would imagine that I saw a lot of depth in, in the, the art, and I saw the um, interpretation of the drama and uh, like, uh, I think there's Pollock. The more you look at it, the more you see. Mm. And I, I just felt that like uh, it was drawing in, like the patterns became deeper. And there seemed to be a white panel um, mark in one of them. I don't know what it meant, but I, I sort of saw that as an interpretation of something. Right. And I'm not sure if I was meant to see that or if mainstream would see that, or is it because my history is different, interpretation of it? Well, I hope we all bring our history to... to no, but I'm saying that yes. the African-American would have a different interpretation. Yes. As it, okay, that's my main question. Yeah, cool. Um, no, I think we'll break the rule and answer the question, because that's, it is a... We're really running short of time, and there are a couple of other people, but that's the, the, the lady, the question has brought up some, some powerful issues. Um, of course, we, we could point out that the, the um, male-looking inward artists are both Europeans, and um, although Altoff now lives in Brooklyn, and Meritu is African-born, but lives in the United States, and Simpson is American through and through, but yeah, the, the, I think, well, we don't have to answer it. We can leave it, to s we, can, we can savor the problematics <laughs> of uh, artists, they come from here, they come from there, uh, and we come from here, we come from there, we're looking, we're thinking. Yeah, well, let's see if some of our, uh, I've got room for two more questions, and I think there are two women sitting next to each other who both had their hands up at a certain point, so let's hear from both of them. Hi, I just have um, three kind of question statements, not to be answered questions, but the, the notion of abstraction being so flattened here. I mean, I'm not sure whether erasure or mark making is, is necessarily abstraction. And this whole idea of social mm. abstraction, I'm not sure what it means, but I'm um, curious about that. Mm. And then something about the way students of mine keep talking about being image makers. I don't know what they mean when they say that, but um, <laughs> it seems that something about the way both Mayreitu and Simpson 
deal with the, the subject matter in their work has a lot to do with, I think, that notion. And the last, um, I just wanted to respond to the Kelly Walker um, hmm. <laughs> statement. Because I have a sense that um, when David brought that up, he was talking about at least there was some sense of urgency in that work um, mm. as um, that didn't feel as flattened as the other two, which I'm tying into image making, but um, a, uh, a notion of some kind of yeah urgency in the work, even though it's it's offensive, you know, mm -hmm. provocation. It's, it's very provocative, and it stands on that as the premier notion in the work. So anyway, so that could be its, its most irritating feature. Yeah, <laughs> that it wants so badly to kind of have a response, whereas this, see, whereas these seem to be more um, gently solicitous. But I think it's Mark Bradford, by the way, who coined the term social abstraction. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's like one of those new terms that I seems meaningless. I mean, like, the, and and I think that again, like just erasing or negating things with a mark <coughs> is not the core of what the notion of abstraction stands for. And so I, I just think it's all getting collapsed into some kind of loose what do you think term. The what do you think the core of abstraction stands for? <laughs> oh, that's a great question to ask at one minute to nine. <laughs> great. You should moderate your own panels, David, someday. <laughs> Let, let the Brooklyn Public Library give you the space from seven to nine, and then at one minute to nine, turn to one of our distinguished abstract painters, Lisa Kareen Davis, and say, what in your mind is the essence of abstraction? Okay, uh, the other Lisa, quickly, do you want to say something? You, you did, no, you don't? Ladies and gentlemen, see you in November for that.